Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental, Dan Lost, Dan Wallet. We are back. A special episode, one topic, one topic only. That is the Washington Commanders, Dan Snyder, the Jim Ursay updates. And as we creep closer to a potential vote to ask Dan Snyder, we wanted to bring Ben Fisher on of the Sports Business Journal to answer any and all questions and really um, get into some areas which I don't think other shows are taking into, you know, how long it takes to get Dan Snyder removed. What happens if Dan Snyder is, if there is a vote, if he loses the vote, how much time passes? We want to get really into the weeds as only we do. And Dan, always a testament to you because you are, you're like Mr. Weeds. You're like, you're in the, the fine print of the constitution. I love it. Well, you know, when it comes to the National Football League, I feel like I have to defend the shield of sports law around the National Football League. The two greatest documents in the field of sports law, the National Football League, CBA, and the NFL Constitution, jointly, they comprise thousands of pages of of the most boring, staid print you could imagine. And no one ever reads these documents cover to cover, you know, at the beach. It only becomes relevant when there's a real live controversy. And until today, I think most of us have only took a passing glance at the commissioner's disciplinary powers and the prohibited conduct and the forced sale section. I think Stephen Ross began to whet our appetite for that. Now we're about to get into the weeds of the NFL constitution and bylaws. So we move away from article 46. We now move into articles eight and nine and three of the constitution and bylaws. And this is going to be the sort of the sports law story for the ages because Dan Snyder's reputation is one of being a serial litigant. I mean, there's already been some, you know, um, you know, speculation that he might sue ESPN. If the league tries to force him out, there's going to be litigation in the aftermath of that. Uh, we're going to be busy for the next couple of years. So Dan, just go, go out and buy a suit or oh, you have a suit. We're going to, we're going to need a, a couple of suits for all these appearances because this will top anything else that's gone on uh, in the last couple of years, unless, unless Dan Snyder comes to his senses and agrees to sell the franchise. And I just don't see that happening. So I'll just say this, right? People can uh, you know, say what they want about ESPN. ESPN had a similar investigative report into Robert Sarver. Robert Sarver said the report was malicious. The reporter was out to get him. And then wouldn't you know, the NBA report largely confirmed that ESPN report. So ESPN's not just making up these things back of the hand. They have a reputation, and I'm sure they source this back and forth and through and through. And, you know, it would be very odd if ESPN just made up the report, as Dan Snyder seems to be alleging. Specifically, Dan, Dan Snyder's comments, which I, you know, we'll get into on the back end, but Dan Snyder issued a very interesting public statement. It said he has not hired a private investigator to dig up dirt in anybody, and he has not authorized his law firm to do that. Now, reading between the lines, as we are wordsmiths, what could have happened? His law firm did it without his knowledge, right? That's well, that's possible. That is certainly possible. Sometimes some clients you have to ask for anytime you hire a vendor. Other clients you don't have to. And if you're on paying $500,000 a month upfront, right? That's, I think, the reporting from, you know, from ESPN to, I think, Reed Smith. Like, I don't know, there's some things you could do without getting client approval. So is there a, a version where a private investigator was hired for Dan Snyder's benefit? And it just didn't didn't fit within Dan's comments. Yes, that is certainly possible. But yeah, I didn't I didn't love that comment. From He's parsing his words. I mean, actions do speak louder than words. And anything that we've learned about Dan Snyder is that he will utilize the court system, high and low, far and wide, to go after anybody who's ever wronged him, from 
or allegedly wronged him from Bruce Allen to Scott McCowan, to all these witnesses, to these internet companies that allegedly defamed him. He has a, he has a law firm that he's paying $500,000 a month, allegedly, to do what? Just to write like inter-office memos? They got to do something. And his, his you know, bread and butter has been to go after witnesses, to interfere, especially with the Beth Wilkinson investigation. I mean, some of the reporting and, you know, speculation and, and fact around some of that is that he has not been as cooperative as somebody who should be participating in an investigation should be, that he's been obstructionist, interfered, tried to sort of, you know, head off some witnesses cooperating, all these terrible things. And I'll look at somebody's track record and I'll believe that over a statement crafted by a you know, sort of a, 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 lob, a lobbyist or a public relations firm. I mean, usually a company like ESPN that does a long enterprise piece with experienced reporters like Seth Wickersham that spend months on this, this doesn't just get corroborated, it gets vetted by legal. They're not going to put anything out there that, you know, fails the sort of the defamation standard knowing Dan Snyder's history. A company like ESPN is not going to do that. They employ not just dozens, they probably have, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of, of legal people, either within the company and through outside counsel to carefully carefully review stories before they're published. So I think where we're headed here is we're waiting for this other shoe to drop, which is going to be the trigger for what leads to a vote and what leads, more importantly, preceding that to a, an adversarial proceeding within the NFL administrative process, because he's going to be getting his day in court, so to speak, and not necessarily just getting you know, you know, kicked out by a voice vote. He's going to be entitled to contest the charges. Okay, Dan, yeah, I think that's a good place to put it. Uh, and we're happy to, and as Ben, Ben will say at the end of our interview, we should mention Ben Fisher with the Sports Business Journal, been with us a couple times. Ben has you know, become a very good friend of the show. I'll call Ben offline and I'll just try to figure out what he's hearing around meetings. But I think Ben does a great job. But to, to in full transparency, again, oh, this is unprecedented. So we don't know a lot of these answers, but we'll try to ask the hard-hitting questions and see what Ben knows. Before we go to our guest, Ben Fisher, a reminder, our podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. I know New York bar results came out today as of the time of this recording. I know we're getting them across the country. Listen, if you passed, congratulations. Hopefully you use Themis. If you did not pass, I think now is the time to consider switching to Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. Our good friends over there, everyone that I know that used Themis passed, so I guess that's a good thing. Uh, and if you didn't, don't worry. Themis is on the way, I'm sure. I'm sure they're happy to help. Use our promo code, Con Detrimental, or just call me and I will get you in touch with the Themis people and they'll give you like a super secret special discount code, which is probably the same discount code, but they'll like it that much more. Okay, it's time to get to the hard-hitting stuff with Ben Fisher of the Sports Business Journal. All right, everybody, welcome our leadoff hitter to Conduct Detrimental. Whenever we have a major NFL story, that's going to be this multi-installment series, like an arc. We always like to lead off with Ben Fisher, who's the NFL reporter for Sports Business Daily. So welcome to the beginning of the Dan Snyder arc of Conduct Detrimental. Dan, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. A lot of Dan's. Dan Snyder, Dan Wallach, Dan Lust. I'll be the one Ben today. No, I'm good though. This is a, this is a fascinating story and I'd love to talk about it. You know what's really symmetrical about having, you know, three Dan's and one Ben? Three-fourths. The three-fourths number is going, to, is going to be critical going forward. Almost every decision in the National Football League that's governed by the league constitution requires a three-fourth vote. So for these purposes, the three Dans may have the requisite three-fourths vote on anything taking place on conduct detrimental. But I want to sort of get your perspective 
on the sort of the brewing Dan Snyder litigation saga or pre-litigation saga. You know, you were, you were at the uh, NFL owners meeting a few days ago and Jim Mercy had this spectacular, you know, on the cuff press conference. Do you think that in any way was, you know, staged? Was he selected to deliver the message or did he just do this, you know, as an improvisation and it caught everybody off guard? What was your perspective on the timing of that and the selection of Ursay as the messenger, if he was in fact selected? Well, let me give you two answers. I'm going to equivocate a little bit. One answer supposes it was an off the cuff, him speaking for himself. I think that was a well-timed thing for him to do because it was guaranteed that the conversation would come up in their privileged session, which was about an hour and a half away at the time. And it guaranteed that people would ask Roger Goodell about it. Did that appreciably move the conversation? Not entirely clear to me. In that environment, you know, he, he probably spoke out thinking that there were others in the room that agreed with him, but maybe this would force their hand. And in that case, it was well-timed. The other theory is that this is orchestrated in some respect. And I'm not entirely sure which one it is, but I think the one-two punch of Al Michaels talking about this on Thursday Night Football and then Jim Mercer talking about the owners meeting, that starts to look like there's a plan here. And, you know, I don't want to overstate that this is that well thought out. I think that, you know, in that scenario, the facts, it's um, the commissioner and a couple of key owners saying, let's get the world comfortable with this idea. They're not, they're more than trial balloons. It's not as though that they would immediately back off it if there was any bad feedback, but it's like, you know, anytime you're doing something controversial, you, you don't want it to be the first, you don't want it to actually be game day the first time anyone thinks about it. And Al Michaels, the respected play-by-play voice, everyone knows he's close friends with a lot of the important owners, Robert Kraft in particular, him saying it, then Jim Mercer coming out and saying it, if there was a group of owners who said, we've got to do this, but we have to do it carefully, those two guys coming out and talking about it publicly would be our smart first two steps. Yeah, but Ben, we're talking about Dan Snyder. Do we really need any trial balloons at this point? I mean, no matter what's said in that in furtherance of booting him from the league, it's going to be met with a resounding you know, 99.9% approval from the public and the media. So why do they need to have media members acting in concert with other owners, trial balloons from Jim Mersey. Why now? Why not just proceed organically instead of politically and trying to use the media to steer the coverage when there's already such a groundswell of support for getting him out of the NFL? Well, I don't think it's a trial balloon in the traditional sense of the word, like you're actually trying to get regular fans and viewers on your side. I think it's more about within that owner's room, the 32. I think there are quite a number of NFL owners who would definitely prefer Dan Snyder no longer be in their fraternity, but they feel like they can't or won't do it because there's not a clear cause of action yet that would hit that precedence. There's a lot of going along with the flow and consensus building in the NFL owner's room. And I think to the extent it's a trial balloon, it's a trial balloon in that context, that there's a lot of people that would be glad to vote for it if they thought they'd have the protection of the crowd. And if they thought the commissioner actually was okay with that. So I think that's what I mean when I say it's a trial balloon. It's getting those 32 people comfortable with what would be undoubtedly an extraordinary step. Yeah. Well, what's the trigger? I mean, we've known about the Beth Wilkinson investigation and the accusations surrounding the toxic workplace environment for a long time. These, you know, hit the public, you know, even without a written report. There was enough there back in 2020. So why 2022 and how much has the sort of the public narrative move the needle on this issue? Why is the league finally coming around to its senses and taking action 
now instead of two years earlier? Well, I think that's a question that's difficult to answer without raising other questions about the league's behavior on some things regarding Dan Snyder. To be clear, I think that as of this moment, they still have a hard time getting the 24 votes on this. They're still lacking a smoking gun that would meet, I'd say, the current precedent for what it requires to force an owner to sell. And what's, um, that there are what's the precedent? The Jerry Richardson threshold of... You know, well, I think the precedent about- is personal bad behavior. There's been a lot of allegations, but most of the things that have been proven or corroborated, I should say, regarding Dan Snyder have been more general workplace things that have stopped short of directly implicating him. You know, say what you will about that. He's in charge of the workplace culture. But I think at this moment, there's been some allegations about personal actions of harassment, but those are not been corroborated. And I think short of that, it's the owners say, well, we just don't quite have it here. We've got the energy, but not the facts for that. And the extent they don't have that can arguably be the responsibility of the league itself. Had that Beth Wilkinson report back in 2021 been made public in detail, that might actually contain some of the precedent that they're now looking for. So the Beth Wilkinson report, that ship has sailed. He's not going to be punished through a forest ownership sale for that past conduct when he's already been disciplined for that. So you've mentioned the trigger. What's the triggering event? We have a lot of items on the menu. We've got the upcoming Mary Jo White report. We don't know how that investigation is going to shape up. We've got some of the fallout from the John Gruden discovery that could be a year or two in the making. We've got Congress working on a report. What's out there in terms of candidates that could serve as the triggering event? Well, I think one of your bright lines would be if Congress, the House Oversight Committee, corroborated and found to be credible and or essentially proven the uh, allegations at Snyder's direction, the team misaccounted revenues that should have been shared with the rest of the league that uh, haven't been. That's that's minor, but that would be a bright line thing that if the look, look again, I mean, this is as much a political question as it is a legal question. It's not so much would this hold up in court? Is this a is this a pretext for 24 people to vote yeah, but, to remove him? And that could be it. It's Think, like tax evasion for Al Capone, right? They're dodging the ultimate well, issue. Whatever it takes to get 25 people to feel comfortable with this, I think is what they would be satisfied with. But I agree with you. It's, it's thin gruel. Not that holding money back from revenue sharing is a minor thing. But I think in total, we were talking about like a percent of one year worth of revenue for the team. So I don't know if that's material. I think that's the problem with that argument, that that, that even if it was proven, it'd be like, ah, yeah, that's small potatoes. The thing that would make this a slam dunk is corroboration of, I forget her name, but the woman that claimed Dan Snyder himself got handsy with her one night back in like 08 or 09. That would be a bright line. That would be an airtight case. But so far, that seems pretty thin based on what we currently know. So, Ben, you mentioned, you know, if that was corroborated. I know there was a pretty troublesome comment from an an anonymous owner, essentially said, if Dan Snyder can get funding for the stadium, will you forgive his indiscretions? And the response was yes, period. So I don't know, right? I think it corroborate any one of these, right? You could play, you know, whether it was cooking the books or whether it was the direct sexual assault or the institutional kind of the lack of control, Mm -hmm. I don't know, is, is any one deed right going to kick him out if you have owners that are just saying, yes, if he gets a new stadium, it doesn't really matter? Well, I think your questionnaire gets to the real crux of the matter here is that the owner's primary complaint about Dan Snyder is he's bad for business and that the delta between what the Washington market is for the NFL versus what it should be is vast and getting vaster. 
And they are just so frustrated with his underperformance as a businessman at Washington. It's so toxic. They've salted the earth. That market would be a huge moneymaker for the NFL almost literally the second he walked away. The question they got to ask themselves is, is, is incompetence grounds to remove an owner? Because I do think it's going to be an uphill battle for them to find some sort of bright line corroborated active malfeasance. So they might end up going down this path. I do think that if he had a stadium deal in place and we were talking about the commanders moving into a brand new stadium that would suddenly supercharge team revenues and sharing revenues out of that team in three or four years, there wouldn't be nearly the energy here. And it's not that they're so craven that the money just makes all the other problems go away. The problem right now is it's the totality of 22 years or 23 years of problems with Snyder's no one thing, which I don't think anyone would disagree. There's been a lot, but you know, at some point, you got to point to one thing that means he's no longer able to be an owner. I was on a show last night and they read off like the seven things that he's done wrong. And they left out the cooking the book stuff, the consumer fraud stuff. They left that part out. And I'm like, I mean, that's what makes, at least in my mind, right? Like, that's what makes him a little different. He's not just an owner who has these you know, allegations about him. He's an owner that's, you know, being accused of, you know, uh, cooking the books, whatnot. But that separately is an owner that in a major media market is performing as one of the worst, you know, performing teams from a revenue perspective. So, you know, the, the question, Ben, that, that I have for you, and I don't know if there's an answer to this. Let's say like we're, we're talking a lot, you know, I'm sure Dan has some more questions too, but we're talking a lot about like if we get to 25 votes, right? Like, if we get there, what, what I have not heard any show talk about is like when you get to 25 votes, like what happens? Like does Snyder have to sell the team in a certain amount of time does the nba conduct a sale or does i mean the nfl conduct a sale does the nfl take over the team like we saw in the nba when they you know took over the i think it was the hornets franchise but i we i just don't know the mechanism of what that looks like post you know that vote well that's covered i'll be honest with you i don't either you you know the constitution as well as i do dan wallach well um, i'm glad i'll be the expert on on this one at least for for now until people start reading up it's it's set forth in section 3.8 b of the NFL constitution, this would constitute an involuntary termination and any sale or disposition of a canceled or forfeited interest would be conducted pursuant to a league supervised process, which would include mandatory arbitration to determine the sale or disposition price in the event that Snyder's ownership interest is not sold within 120 days and then the, pri- and the price cannot otherwise be fixed by mutual agreement between Snyder and Commissioner Goodell and given the you know, intrinsic value of the commander's franchise, given its location in the nation's capital, but the uncertainties surrounding the stadium situation, whether they may have public funding for it or, or, or online sports betting is included, I think it's going to be hard to fix a price by mutual agreement within 120 days. I think this is going to have to go to a league supervised auction unless someone like Jeff Bezos steps up to the plate and just writes a blank check or a check for six or $7 billion, the dollar value of this franchise is so difficult to ascertain because of all these intangibles that leave it not reducible to a comparison to another franchise, because you're talking about the nation's capital and the finite supply of, of, of franchises that are available for sale. It would be the only one at the moment. So a bidding war, might be in the league's and Snyder's best interest, because I just don't see how 120 days can get the job done. So the process is spelled out in Article 3 
of the CBA, at least based on my reading. I don't think 120 days is an unreasonable amount of time. The Broncos were sold in less than 120 days. And there were you know multiple viable bidders in that. And I agree with you that the Washington situation would be a little bit different. It's not a perfect comp. I think the, the reason I feel like 120 days is enough is that this wouldn't be starting flat-footed. I guarantee you there have been fairly extensive conversations with potential bidders for Washington should it become available. This, while it's always seemed like a long shot until very recently, I guarantee you Jeff Bates has had conversations with somebody from the NFL or other owners about what this would look like in the event these facts came together and probably other people too. I don't think anyone can out, outbid Jeff Bezos other than maybe Elon Musk, but uh, he's got his hands full with other acquisitions. So, you know, I think 120 days is plenty of time, actually. Let me get to the public policy related question here. We're talking about financial improprieties. The owners are, are not making as much money with Snyder, the failed legislation in Virginia. Doesn't that do a disservice to all those women who, who've accused Snyder's organization and Snyder himself of sexual misconduct? Wouldn't that be the wrong thing for the NFL to do, to hinge? This is what 32 white males are going to do. They're going to dodge the issue of sexual harassment and sexual misconduct and find some financial impropriety to hang their hat on. Doesn't that do a disservice to all of those women who've made bona fide accusations, whose accusations may, may have been vindicated in Beth Wilkinson's investigation? So where do you see the NFL's image coming into play here in deciding how to proceed and what's the underlying substance of conduct? Because it's cowardice and it's the wrong thing to do to turn away from the sexual improprieties and focus on taxes and seat revenues. To me, that's just a smokescreen. I think you've got a point there. I think the current perspective among owners in the NFL, though, is not so much about turning that aside or that we don't want to focus on that, is that the current factual record is short of the precedent for kicking them out. And the difference there is that there's Sarver was found in, in the Suns, in the NBA, Sarver was found to have personally said things to people and, and personally done these things. By and large, the allegations in Washington have stopped short of Snyder. It's been these workplace culture issues, and no doubt he holds responsibility for that. But the current precedent in pro sports right now is personal bad behavior on behalf of the owner, Donald Sterling, Jerry Richardson, and Sarver are examples of that. As long as Snyder can keep those facts from sort of being established that he personally did this, this looks more like Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks workplace culture issue than it does the Jerry Richardson thing. Now, if 24 league owners in the NFL and Roger Goodell say our standard is going to be different than that, they're free to do that. But they're nervous about that, A, because they'd be setting a new precedent. The NFL never likes to move first on anything and they don't have to. And B, they're worried about the implications for themselves. Whether not Dan Snyder actually is hiring private investigators to dig up dirt on these people. These are not saints, and they might worry about where that leads. If they set a new precedent, are they going to be hoisted by their own petard five years later? So that's why they might want to stay away from those allegations unless they're airtight and about him personally. Seth Wickersham's piece in ESPN, you know, sort of cast Dan Snyder as like somebody who was bereft of any friends, any real relationships. Does he have any allies within ownership? Or are these just owners who are afraid of having their own picadillos revealed because of Snyder's uh, digging around, uh, you know, and, and using private investigators to intimidate? You know, the extent to which his relationship with Jerry Jones is still valid and positive for him is a matter of some disagreement. Uh, the ESPN report said that uh, he's lost Jerry. If that's true, that is, in fact, dark. 
because surely the presumption for years is bad. If this actually came to the floor among the 32 owners, Jerry Jones would be his defense attorney, essentially, in arguing against getting anybody out more on the principle than necessarily particularly fond feelings for Snyder. So if he's lost Jerry, that, in fact, is a very dark development. Two people with close knowledge of the ownership have told me that that's not true. Jones still fundamentally believes that, uh, you know, it's bad business to be kicking owners out for anything short of felonies. It's a short list. The overwhelming percentage of owners in the league would just assume him no longer be part of the league. But on the other hand, you could say that about probably five or six owners, but they're not looking to remove them either, you know. Ben, you and I spoke yesterday just briefly about, you know, timing and whatnot. So, on the back end, right, 120 days, Dan, thank you for your, your constitutional nod. I think the other part that the people have questions about is how quickly, right, could this get done? So we just had the owners meetings in, in New York City. Ben, uh, you made some cameos in those Jim Irsay photos. A couple of our friends were in attendance. But, you know, what I think was something you said interesting to me, which I don't think most people know, that a vote can occur seemingly at a whim, right? You could just call a meeting, right? You don't have to wait until next year's owners meeting if there's something that happens, if there's that shoe to drop. And Jim Irsay was pretty pretty clear that the NFL seems to be waiting for that investigation to conclude, you know, the Mary Jo White investigation. So whenever that happens, could that be next month, the month after? Sure, it's possible. But I think that's an important point, Ben. So your, your understanding is that the owners could just call a meeting, whatever they want, and then, you know, in theory, put this thing up for a vote? Sure. You know, whether they would or not, I think is another question. There's a lot of thoughtful political and commun- communications and strategic questions about how you let that play out. But my best guess is that some point in the relatively near future, I don't know if that's days and weeks or weeks and months, but the Mary Jo White report is going to come out. And if that establishes anything that could be a factual predicate for action from there, it moves fairly quickly. They might decide it's in their best interest to wait until a regularly scheduled meeting to try to make it look like, you know, hey, it's all well and good. Maybe they don't want to make it look like they're they're scrambling and it's an emergency. But the owners can convene a meeting by a conference call almost any time. I think it's a matter of days notice for that. The last special meeting they had was to approve the Walton purchase of the Broncos in early August. That was off their scheduled timing. It was an in-person meeting. I'm sure that, uh, you know, a sense of propriety would probably argue that, you know, Snyder should have a chance to address these matters in person if they were to take a vote. So I don't think it would literally be like 36 hours. They'd want to do it in person just for fairness sake, but no reason that necessarily has to happen on a normal schedule for the NFL. This is going to have to result in a trial. It's a mini trial. It's not just a vote. There's going to have to be evidence, witnesses, uh, you know, the NFL constitution and bylaws prescribe a, you know, sort of a procedure, you know, with notice, opportunity uh, to be heard, right to counsel, documents, testimony. This is like a, a mini trial within the NFL, you know, constitutional, you know, procedures, you know, so I don't think it's as simple as just, you know, calling it up to a vote and excommunicating and they're going to have to go through a, a fairly adversarial type process to be able to get rid of them. And, you know, before we get there, I just want to ask you about Dan Snyder's relationship with Roger Goodell. I mean, Roger, Roger took a bullet for him two years ago, you know, in, in burying Beth Wilkinson's findings. Yet during the course of Congress's House Oversight Committee hearings, Roger Goodell appeared before the House Oversight Committee and, and you know, took one for the team in a very hostile environment, save for the Republican lawmakers who tried to sort of provide a counterweight. But while this was going on, Dan Snyder went on his magical mystery summer, you know, yacht tour, which gave rise to all the great websites, you know, Dan Snyder, Yacht Tracker. How much 
did Snyder's avoidance of accountability and respect for the process, how much did that poison his relationship with Commissioner Goodell or any of the other owners, if it did at all? I think the poisoning had already happened. I don't know exactly when, but at some point in the last two years, the league office and Goodell personally has run out of patience for Dan Snyder. I think when the Beth Wilkinson report was first getting developed, was first commissioned, I think this was a more traditional, the commissioners said in his mind, we're going to do our part to sort of minimize the exposure to an owner. That is sort of an owner without priors. Um, the default base case is that we can play a little bit of interference on the owner. At some point, I don't know exactly when or whether there was a tipping point or just the totality of everything, but at some point, the league office said, we're no longer interested in taking extraordinary steps to protect this person. I believe that happened before the congressional hearings this summer. I don't know exactly when it happened though, but I, I think it was around the Super Bowl actually in LA when there was some, I forget exactly what it was, but there was some gap between the team and the league's communications that led me to believe that there was no longer a positive relationship there. So that puts us in February rather than the summer. I have one more view, Ben. You know, in June, Roger Goodell testified before Congress. That was, you know, four months ago, give or take. Dan, you mentioned about Goodell taking a bullet for Snyder way back when. I don't know, he took one from pretty recently when they asked if Snyder would have to sell the team. And Goodell didn't say anything along the lines of banned for life like Adam Silver did or anything like that. Obviously, we're getting a very different we'll say um, sentiment from the NFL than we were even four months ago. Then my, my question to you, you know, obviously the ESPN investigation had more details that we did not know about as public. And I know the Mary Joe White investigation is now nine months in. Are you getting word one way or the other? It's the scope of that investigation. The Mary Joe White investigation is now expanding to maybe include or respond to some of the new allegations that have come out, be it the ESPN report or otherwise. No, I wish I had some information on that. It's been remarkably quiet on that. Uh, the Mary Jo White report investigation was originally very narrow in scope about a very particular set of allegations, you know, one night, essentially. So the fact that it's gone on for so much longer, one might reasonably infer that it's expanded, but I don't think I can responsibly report one way or the other where that is or when it's going to come. It could come this week. It might come at Christmas. It's a bit of a black box right now, but... My money would say that that's the most likely avenue we would get clear predicate action for a vote to remove. They've been keeping it quiet. And if there have any been any rumblings at all, they haven't come to me. Ben, you've been following all these legal issues, you know, surrounding the NFL for seemingly the last couple of years. I think it's part of the beat now. You know, you write about on the field as well as off the field legal. So you have a very good, I guess, what I would say, barometer for taking the temperature of how things unfold in time. What do you see the next move here or set the stage for where this is going in terms of a time frame. anything within the next couple of weeks, or it's going to take really something uh, major like a bombshell to, to kind of drop? Well, I think the problem with predicting time frame is that I think this all flows from the Mary Jo White report. I think Congress is going to issue something surely before the new Congress takes over in January because the House, the committee chairwoman is losing her seat on January 3rd or whenever that is official. So that's definitely going to happen before the college CFP football game. The Mary Jo White report, I don't have any idea when it's coming. 
But I think that is the next step. I think the, the commissioner clearly said two hours after Ursay's comments, they said, we need facts. We, we need findings. And, and it's really unfair to, to Snyder to talk about this until we know what Mary Jo White's report says. From there, I expect things to move pretty quickly. I think there's quite a few owners in that room that would love to take a vote. They just need many facts to go along with their energy. I don't know to answer your question, but I think once we get to that point where there's a Mary Jo White report, we're going to know within an hour of reading that whether this has the basis to move against Snyder or not. And from there, I think it moves quickly. Ben, you've been fantastic. Thank you for being so giving with your time and answering a lot of questions which might be unanswerable, but obviously uh, we're going to keep an eye on it and uh, love to have you back on as the story progresses. Well, thanks for having me. I'm sorry I can't be more precise. I feel like I've been equivocating for half an hour, but no. Uh, you know, these are we we are too. It's uncharted territory. You you you're spot on. You're spot on during during the uh, segment, uh, and we're all learning as we're going. This is now uncharted territory. I don't think in my lifetime, you know, they, they've used this or invoked this procedure to force to try to force an owner out. I think Jim Irsay had a fine, right, for his, uh, you know, you know, uh, drunk driving, you know. Yeah. Owners have been punished. Stephen Ross just came back from a suspension, you know. So you know, we're we're about to enter the new world of. Section 8.13 of the NFL Constitution and Bylaws. You know, remember tired and wired? Tired is Article 46. Wired is Section 8.13 of the NFL Constitution and Bylaws. So that's one that we're going to have to keep our eye on, as, as well as the forced sale provisions, three, Section 3.8 of the Constitution and Bylaws. This is going to be a lot of fun. So we're just getting started. We'd love to have you back on. And just thanks for you know enlightening us with your perspectives on, on Snyder and everything else surrounding this controversy. And if I can make one point on my way out the door about that, I think one of the reasons this is so hard to talk about and pin down right now is that I'm not sure we know to what extent this is a legal question about the Constitution versus a political question about what 24 or more owners and the commissioner want to do. But to a certain extent, they can do what they want. But you're right. There's a there's a process. And that was constitution here as well. So those interlocking questions, I think, are hard to read right now. A lot of material going forward. That's for sure. So, yeah. Thanks, Ben. Looking forward to seeing you on the NFL Network again. And uh, thanks for your time, as always. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, Ben. So that was Ben Fisher of the Sports Business Journal. You can find him on Twitter at Ben Fisher, F-I-S-C-H-E-R-S-B-J. Dan, I learned a lot from that conversation. When you put three of us in a room and we ask a lot of questions, we kind of figure out what's known, what's out there in the public, what's on Twitter, and what's unknown. Dan, I have not heard anybody, anybody, and you know, we're in the weeds in this on Twitter. No one is talking about a potential, like this mini trial that you referenced. Do you have some more background, maybe some vagaries that maybe need some more attention? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, Dan, we're going to get immersed into the uh, nuances of the NFL Constitution and bylaws. And in Article 8, and in particular, Section 8.13, it sets forth the process for how to sort of invoke, you know, the procedures for leading to Dan Snyder's forfeiture of his ownership interest. And either if Roger Goodell can make a determination that he's got to provide notice in a hearing to any owner who he believes has violated the Constitution and bylaws or has been guilty of conduct detrimental to the welfare of the league. So at a minimum, if the commissioner believes that this conduct has occurred, Dan Snyder is entitled to notice in a hearing. If after this notice and hearing have occurred, the commissioner believes that any of the prescribed penalties are insufficient, he could he's, he's maxed out at $500,000 in terms of a monetary fine, and really, there, there's nothing else that would seem to fit the uh, alleged conduct that Dan Snyder has committed. So what we're really talking about here, Dan, ultimately, is 
a forfeiture of Dan Snyder's ownership interest. And Roger Goodell can't do that alone. But what he can do under Section 8.13b is make the determination that the existing penalties are insufficient and that he would refer the matter to the executive committee with a recommendation that there be a cancellation or forfeiture of Dan Snyder's interest in the Washington Commanders. And that provision is governed by Section 8.13b. And then that would trigger an adversarial proceeding under Section 8.13, which would be a, a hearing would be scheduled. Charges would be filed against Dan Snyder. There would be a, an opportunity to respond to the charges. But ultimately, there would be a hearing at which Snyder and his legal counsel would have the right to appear. And just get this. This is the, the wildest part of it. You know, you and I have been covering a lot of these NFL player discipline cases. You have no right to confront your accuser. There's very limited evidence allowed. Not so in an NFL proceeding to forfeit, a play, to, to forfeit an owner's interest. You, the strict rules of evidence don't apply, and any testimony and documentary evidence submitted to the hearing shall be received and considered. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Dan Snyder equipped with that kind of wide berth for trial evidence and trial testimony? This could become a circus-like atmosphere. So we're about to head into the unknown surrounding the National Football League, because in my lifetime, I don't believe there's ever been a, an Article 8 proceeding to force an owner to sell his interest. We're really in uncharted territory here. You know, I like to make cross-sport comparisons, sometimes some cross-sport parlays, but um, Dan, as far as I'm aware, in our, you know, you and I are both professors, I like to consider myself somewhat of a historian. I have never in our four major sports ever heard of it being put to a vote. Right. Sarver voluntarily sells. Jerry Richardson voluntarily sells. Marge Schott. Don Sterling had his separate stuff with the probate court. But no one has ever been put to a vote. So it's not even like we can look over at basketball or baseball or hockey. It just hasn't happened. So with the amount of money that the team will definitely will certainly fetch. Right. I would, I would think it would far exceed, you know, the, the, well, not far exceed, but exceed the Broncos numbers. There's a lot of people paying attention, to it, whether it be Bezos or maybe an unnamed billionaire that, that has not yet entered the fold. Dan, this could get so messy. And I'll, I'll just say this one, one part, which, um, again, I read Snyder's statement very closely, which was funny. The ESPN story came out last week. You and I recorded on Thursday. The owners' meetings were this past week. And Snyder didn't feel the need to put out a comment until the owners' meeting happened. So the story was sitting out there for a couple of days. And for some reason, it took them four days to come up with that statement. So... Do I think that Dan Snyder has a dossier of dirt on other owners? Um, ESPN's reporting it. Uh, and ESPN's not usually wrong about this stuff. Dan, when, when could such a dossier come into play, right, in terms of selective enforcement, right, conduct detrimental to the interests of the league? If other owners have these, you know, these, these issues, right, Dan, maybe this is the time to bring them up. At this hearing where Dan Snyder is fighting for his, his team, maybe he brings them up at that particular meeting, which... I don't know, entertainment value is off the charts, but uh, it's going to get very messy very quickly. Well, I, I think Dan Snyder's defense is largely going to occur after he's forced to sell his interest. You know, in the aftermath, uh, let's talk about the three-fourth vote requirement. Just about everything in the NFL Constitution and, and bylaws requires a, a three-fourths vote of the ownership. The number of votes that will be required to force Snyder to sell would be not three-quarters of 32 owners, but three-quarters of 31 owners because you exclude Snyder from the calculation of the three-fourths vote, but that's still going to be 24 votes. You're going to need 24 votes to oust him. 
I don't believe that there will be an issue getting to 24 votes. They're not going to have charges filed. They're not going to go through this NFL engineered procedure unless Roger Goodell and the other owners and the other members of the executive committee are confident that they have enough votes to kick Snyder out. The result will be known. The problem is, I think this NFL constitution document is so vague. It was written in the 1970s. It hasn't been updated in over 15 years. And you know how we have this, the collective bargaining agreement and then the personal conduct policy? There are specific grounds under which a player can get suspended. I mean, you have a, a, a very elaborate personal conduct policy. There's no conduct policy that's integrated within the NFL constitution. It talks about this amorphous concept of conduct detrimental to the welfare of the league. And then it specifies examples of what constitute conduct detrimental you know, gambling and, and that kind of stuff, none of it fits the calculus or framework for personal misconduct, like, you know, like, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault, none of that stuff is specified as a ground for forcing an owner to sell his interest. And you can understand why. I mean, who writes this document? The owners. The owners are not going to, you know, provide the basis under which they're going to get ousted from the NFL ownership ranks. So they they have it as amorphous and as weak as possible. The problem with that is that if the league uses this vague conduct detrimental to the welfare of the NFL as the basis in which to force the sale of Snyder's interest, Snyder is going to argue that, well, you've already defined what constitutes conduct detrimental and Article 9, and you delineate all these items, none of which apply to me. So I believe that whatever the result is within the NFL mini trial, Dan Snyder is going to challenge it in court. He's going to raise, you know, he's going to seek a declaratory judgment. He's going to, he's going to say the NFL didn't follow its own rules. It's arbitrary and capricious, antitrust, tortious interference. He's going to go to war once this process concludes, because I don't think he can do anything in advance of a final resolution from the NFL because you have to allow uh, the completion and resolution of all these administrative remedies before you can go into federal court. But I think at some point, Dan Snyder is going to go to war with his fellow owners and the National Football League. But before any of that can happen, the NFL has to give him his day in court and give him the right to contest these charges and the right to conduct whatever kind of discovery and witness examination he needs to do to substantiate or at least defend, you know, his position. And he's going to do that. Dan, I don't have anything further on it. You know, obviously we're going to keep tabs in it. We'll see. Uh, I imagine for looking at timeframes, we had a year for the Beth Wilkinson investigation, a year plus. We'll see. This is a, at least what I'm calling it, the cleanup report from Mary Jo White, but from all indications, you know, it looks like the NFL is just waiting for that shoe. That's going to be the next issue here. And we'll see. I asked Ben about it. He didn't know. My spider sense is that the reason this investigation is taking so long is because the scope keeps increasing. The more new information we get, the NFL wants to leave no stone unturned with respect to that report, because that's going to serve most likely as the basis. If he does get voted out, they're going to point directly to that report. So they need to make sure that's all encompassing. So the more information that comes out, Moving the goalposts back a little bit in terms of time. That's that's at least my understanding. I think the Mary Jo White report is the sort of the Waterloo for Dan Snyder if it substantiates the the accusations that were made by the commander's employee who accused Snyder of you know being a little bit handsy with her and and, and trying to force her into a limousine. If she substantiates that, that's going to be enough. It's curtains and nothing Dan Snyder could do in court can override that legally. All he can do is apply pressure and intimidation and use these guerrilla tactics to try to keep his tenure intact within the NFL. Because once you have a former United States attorney 
had a firm like Debevoise and Plimpton arriving at findings after a lengthy investigation where she interviewed witnesses, her report is going to be given instant credibility. And the courts are going to look at her and, and, and look at that report and say that, well, that's good enough. Snyder's, of course, going to use issues of selective enforcement and try to highlight, just as has happened with Deshaun Watson, Jeffrey Kessler tried to highlight examples where the NFL did not discipline owners for their misconduct. Well, Deshaun Watson is going to pass the baton to Dan Snyder, and Dan Snyder is going to do that very same thing and hit the issue of selective enforcement hard, fast, constant. He's going to highlight all these indiscretions and all these examples of misconduct, even the ones that Jerry Jones is accused of. You know, yesterday, Jerry was my friend. Tomorrow, he's my adversary. And I think that has to be Dan Snyder's tactic in any case before the NFL trial, as well as post-trial. Dan, that um, sounds like a good place to end it. So yeah, Dan, I think we've covered from all angles. I think we're good. Okay. We've done our Dan Snyder uh, installment series. I think we're going to need our own Dan Snyder channel on Conduct Detrimental by the time we're through. Yes, uh, we need some more Dans as well. We need Dan Wallach, Dan Lust, and uh, about a Dan Snyder panel. But definitely stay tuned, Dan. Uh, you know, we have some stuff in the works and potential town hall, potential panel, but definitely stay in the uh, on the lookout for all of that. Okay, Dan, let's end it here. Uh, and we have to do a little bit of business before we end for the day. We do it each and every week. The Better Edge Pick of the Week, sponsored by Better Edge. Uh, head to betteredge.com, use our promo code CONDUCT, get $20 for free. And so far, not only have we given you $20 free to sign up, Colin's been decent with the picks, but you started off hot, 3 0, then you tied. I'm putting it in quotes, little air quotes, and then we had our first loss. So, Mr. 3 1 and 1, Colin, what do you have to say for yourself? Yeah, well, listen, you never want to be um, on the public's back there. And that's what I was last week. So I, I lost my I lost my sharp focus. I'm looking to regain this week. But I see a good line and I see a team that I'm very familiar with being my New York football Jets playing on the road in Denver against Danger Russ, the cringiest quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I'm sure you've seen, Dan, the subway commercials, the lackluster offensive performances. It's just it's not a, being a nice year for the Russell Wilson-led Denver Broncos. So right now, Better Edge is offering the Jets plus three against the Denver Broncos. I think you take them right there. Again, New York Jets have been hot, three straight wins coming on the road. It's been impressive. They've had Brees Hall, uh, outstanding rookie running back, really show out for them the past couple of weeks. So Jets plus three against Danger Russ and the cringy Denver Broncos. Broncos country. Yeah. yeah. Let's ride. Right off into the abyss. Yeah. Let's ride off into the abyss. I like the pick, Conlon. What are we? Jets plus three. You can take it to the bank. Yeah, Jets plus three. Lock it. We in. we should mention just so people are like checking the lines. Like, how is this plus three? You head to Better Edge. This is why this is why the site is very interesting. The line right now is if this this recording is plus one. Okay, so Conlon, right? People are like, oh, how is that even a fair pick? How can Conlon be losing picks on lines that are not even the real lines? You're smiling here, but here's the thing: Better Edge is not against the house. Better edges against other betters. So you can take that line and they could juice it up, right? It might, you might get plus three in theory, right? Like at minus 250, which is a fancy way of saying uh, betting like $250 to win $100 or $25 to win $10. But in any event, this is why it's a social marketplace. Colin can put up a line. I can put up a line. And this is just like betting against your friends. You're not betting against the house. So that's why Colin, this would be pretty embarrassing if you lost this week because you're saying <laughs> plus three. It's almost as if someone like laid a trap for you on Better Edge, but 
This is mono, 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 right? You're competing against some yeah. random person somewhere. Well, this is the thing. The plus three was the line that came out across DraftKings, across FanDuel, across the house books. That's what it opened out at on Sunday night. And again, sharp money came in and hammered it. Looking better edge, not having the volume, hasn't moved the line, hasn't swayed it like that. There hasn't been enough people betting that uh, three lines. So, hey, plus three, you can still get it there. Go against your friends. Again, social betting, better edge. Use our promo code CONDUCT. Uh, and as we uh, end this episode, I'm going to put something bold in here. And that's, we can always tie it back to sports, all right? We did a lot of talking about the commander stuff. You know, Dan Snyder, at one point in time, you know, he's being alleged to have brought in Carson Wentz to the organization with that trade. Uh, the quarterback market is very hot, right? You had Lamar Jackson's looking for a big contract. That's because Deshaun Watson signed for a, you know, a hundred percent guaranteed. Kyler Murray signed a big deal. And to your point, Common, Russell Wilson signed a massive deal, which I think was in part guided by the Deshaun Watson contract. That could possibly go down. It's very, it's early. We're a couple games in, but it's not having the makings of, uh, we'll say one of the, the wisest investments in sports history. Let's see if Russ can turn it around, but uh, not this weekend. Not this weekend. We'll take no, uh, Jets plus three. So I guess we can end it here for myself, Dan Wallach, Conlon, as always, producer Mike Lawson. We will see you next time in another episode of Content Detrimental. Detrimental.